0: This is John Metter, and we're in our Life is War series, and uh, I think we've moved down to number seven now. And as we get into number seven, we're talking about winning the war of life and uh, winning the battles that you need to win every day. Uh, I'm going to talk to you about uh, a number of more specific things the more we go on this podcast. Since we've laid the foundation down, the more detail we're going to give you and the more practical application we're going to bring to your life. Um... I want to remind you that I started with this whole line from John Piper, until you know that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. And, and that's really really true. You know, you need to be uh, in the right place uh, in the battle in order to have victory. One of my uh, favorite experiences with my wife, Kim, I was on the island of Eleuthera in the Bahamas. Our church at the time when we were pastoring in Tennessee had a mission house, a mission headquarters, if you will, on the island of Eleuthera, a long island, about, uh, I think it was about 100 miles long and two miles wide. So it's virtually all beach, either on the Caribbean side or on the Atlantic side. And uh, there's a one point uh, of the island in the southernmost point, I believe it was called South Point, and there is a point on that South Point area a small lighthouse there, and if you climb up uh, the, the, the the rocks, it's not a, a high mountain, but it's a, a hill, a rock hill. As you climb up, there's a point called uh, Solitary Point. And at that point, in south point of Eleuthera, you can stand in a spot, and you're right in the middle of winds that are coming from the Caribbean and then winds that are coming from the Atlantic. But in that particular spot, it's perfectly still and calm. If you take five steps in one direction, you feel the Caribbean breeze. If you take a few steps in the other direction, you feel the Atlantic breeze. But at that spot, it's perfect tranquility. It's almost like, if you would, the eye of the hurricane. wind is swirling around you, as it often does near beaches. But that point is totally uh, quiet, calm, peaceful, protected by an invisible protection not sure exactly how that works with wind currents but I know it's the thing so I'm going to talk to you about being in the perfect spot for spiritual battle in that way because you really do need to be in the perfect spot and you can be in the perfect spot to win the spiritual battle that you're in so in Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 13 you're going to hear this over and over maybe to the point till you're tired of it but this verse says Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And it really reminds us who will win this war. So you're at the perfect spot when you really know who will win this war. The whole idea of life is war is not so that you can, you can personally battle all by yourself. But it helps us to know, this whole series, that you can be strong in the Lord. The emphasis is in the one who triumphs. It's in the Lord. Wayne Barber, my, my friend of many years, before he went on to heaven, used to say all the time, you can't do it. He never said you could. He can do it. He always said he would. And uh, that was his description of the Christ life. Christ is in us and we are in him. And so in Ephesians chapter 6, we have Paul giving a, a very clear application of Christ in us and us in Christ. So be strong in the Lord. That's what I want you to hear here. And in the strength of his mind. It's not going to be my weightlifting that gets me out of this. It's not going to be my long-distance bicycling that's going to get me out of this. It's not even going to be disciplined thinking that gets me out of this. It's going to be his presence in my life. And the very first emphasis in that whole verse is his presence. And the second emphasis is his power. It's his power. So it's really not the, it's not emphasizing his action but it's emphasizing the soul power that's in Jesus Christ when he's in you. And it leads me to say, when the battle is raging, run to him. Run to him. Make sure you're in him and maybe and, and make sure that he's in you. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is in Exodus chapter 33, where God is calling Moses to move from one place to another. And in Exodus chapter 33, Moses said, Lord, I'm not going to go up if you're not going up with us. If I go up, it's going to be with you. So if you don't go, I'm not going. Now, if you think about this in the Old Testament, often battles that were fought were horrific battles with much bloodshed, much at stake, but much at risk. And when the men of God, he were going into those battles, prayed, they prayed for an answer, yes or no. It wasn't a, it wasn't they were asking God for a complex set of instructions. How are we going to win this battle? What should we do there? What should we do with our troops? What are we going to do about the enemy? They would just say, Lord, do we go up or do we not go up? And that was the context of Exodus chapter 33. Lord, if you're not going to go with us, not going. I'm not going at all. But if you're going up, we're going with you. Moses knew that it wasn't about the strategy. It was about the presence of God. And that's going to be what I emphasize to you too. Who's going to win this battle? It's not going to be you. It's going to be Christ. I'm a physical man. And this is a physical and spiritual battle. And that's why Moses said, there's no way I'm going to battle without you. I've got to have the spiritual warrior on my side who is Jesus Christ. And um, all, all over and over in, in, uh, in the Bible, where you find men who were following God, women who were following God as well, who asked this question. Uh, Joshua, after Moses, was looking over the promised land and and was very impressed by the captain of the Lord of hosts that appeared to him, and he said, Whose side are you on? Our side or their side? He said, Neither. I'm the captain of the Lord of hosts. And so Joshua very quickly said, Okay, I'm going to be on your side. And that's really what we want to show. We want to show that we are on the Lord's side, that he is in us, and, and we are in him. And that's really part of the purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer is to bring us to Him on a regular basis, to His presence, and to allow His presence to remain in our lives. The result of prayer is that His presence affects and impacts and changes you. It affects your strategy. It affects your decisions. It affects your attitude, your boldness, your obedience. When I pray, my life begins to come into alignment to this one who's going to win the war. And so it's really, really important for us to get on the side of the Lord And uh, because he's going to be the one that wins the battle. Winning the war of life depends on whose side you're on and how closely aligned you are with him. And then there's a second thing I want to talk about when it comes to winning the war of life, and that is where is the place of victory? If I was talking to you about that particular spot at the south part of Eleuthera, the island in Bahamas, so where is the place of victory? And I go back to the armor of God here, Ephesians 6 again, put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand. This is about placement. And where does Ephesians say we've been placed? We've been placed in the helmet uh, of salvation, behind the shield of faith, in the belt of truth, in the shoes of the gospel in Christ. Ephesians reminds us that we're hidden in Christ and we're to pick up the sword of the Spirit. But we have all these things that are all around us and we're in that armor. Now, if I describe this armor in a more... Uh, a briefer term, instead of naming all six pieces of it, plus prayer, I would say it's righteous living, it's holiness. When I live righteously and I'm living in the righteousness of Jesus Christ that was bestowed upon me at salvation, and I'm walking in the righteousness of Jesus that, that I'm enabled to walk in through prayer or through walking with him, that I'm in the perfect place of protection. We must stand with Christ because to move away from Christ is to move without Christ. Now one of the things that happens uh, in the Bahamas is that people go out and and, um, occasionally they go to observe sharks. Now I've never done this, but of course I've watched a lot of uh, documentaries about people hunting sharks and, and observing sharks, and usually that involves a shark cage. And of course, somebody in a shark cage knows that they have a certain amount of protection with them. That's the only reason they have confidence to get in the water with 12-foot tiger sharks or or whatever else kind of shark, great whites, whatever you want to say. Um, And they're confident in there because they're in the cage. They are surrounded by the metal that would keep the shark from getting to them if it chose to get to them. So that's kind of the place of victory. Like that place where the wind can't get you, the place where the sharks can't get you, the place of victory when you're in a spiritual uh, world that we're not made to thrive in is in the middle of obedience with the Lord. That's the place of perfect protection. There is a verse in the book of Galatians that says this, Walk by the Spirit, and you shall in no way carry out the desires of the flesh. So I could go on and on about this, but let me just summarize it all by saying, when you stay in obedience, when you follow the word, your armor is on. And when you don't, you are defenseless against the attacks of the enemy. When your mind is fixed on him, when you uh, are allowing him to pull you in the direction of your purpose that he's given you for your life, when you're occupied with the obedience to what he's called you to do, then you're walking in protection. But when you don't, you're on your own. So that's the where of victory. The who of victory is Jesus. The where of victory is in obedience to him, walking with him moment by moment. And then thirdly, I want to talk about why we must stand there. And the reason we must stand in that place of protection, the reason it's so important for us to, to follow Jesus completely, be obedient, uh, and live righteously by his power, is because the devil has schemes. The latter part of verse 11 says that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, Paul has warned us, and I've given you the terms for these different ways that the enemy attacks us. Uh, it's almost like that Paul is giving us the scouting report of the opposing team. And we learn a little bit about how the game is played. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verse 11 Paul says, so that no advantage will be taken of us by Satan, for we're not ignorant of his schemes. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, then he writes later to the church at Ephesus, and he says, look, I'm aware of how Satan attacks the saints of God, those who are the children of God. So don't be ignorant of his ways. Don't be led astray in the wrong direction. I'm going to give you about um, six statements here, and you either want to make note of them or you want to... Uh, Perhaps just listen to this podcast again, or make note of the one that seems to be most threatening to you at the moment. But these are some methods of the enemies, the methods of the enemy that come against us. First of all, the enemy lies and uses liars against us. He lies and uses liars. In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus was dealing with religious leaders who were obviously deceived. And he made this statement. He said, your father, the devil, is a liar and the father of lies. Now, you can't possibly think you're going to get into the ring in a spiritual battle and not have to face lies. So you can't believe what you hear. You can't believe what you think sometimes. You can't believe what you read. Uh, You can't believe the voices going on around you in social media or mass media or whatever it is. And I'm not talking political things here. I'm just saying the world has no obligation to speak truth to you. Only God has the obligation to speak truth to you. So the enemy works in that way with lies and he uses lies. So keep in mind, this is why we must be so well-versed in the truth. I was told years ago that tellers in a bank, back when we used cash a great deal, were trained to spot a counterfeit bill by handling authentic cash. They would handle authentic cash so often, so many hours a day, with their fingers counting it, stacking it, etc., that when a counterfeit bill came along, it was made of different paper, and as close as it was to the real deal, they were able to discern it because they were handling the truth, the true bill, the true original and authentic bill so often. And the reality is that's how it works in spiritual war too. The reason I know something is lying, someone is lying, thoughts I have are not true is because I know the truth. I know the truth. If you don't know the truth, and I mean by that all the truth, then you're going to be in a battle that you can't win very easily. This is why it's so important. Oh, I'm gonna go off on this again. This is why it's so incredibly important that you're always exposed to the teaching of God's Word. Be in your church. Be in a small group. Talk about the Bible. It's more important than the weather or football or anything else. Politics, you just name it. It's more important than any of that. You must be at the dining table of the champions. And those are the dining table where you're absorbing the Word of God, where you're consuming the Word of God. And if you don't do that, you are not going to stand firm against the lies of the devil. So he lies, he lies, and he uses liars. A second method is he falsely accuses us. Uh, in the book of Zechariah, we read that the enemy accused Joshua, and later on we see the name given to our enemy, the Accuser of the Brethren. So he accuses us. He accuses us of, of not being what God says we are, not being a child of God, not not really being forgiven, not really uh, wanting to know the Lord or follow the Lord. He accuses us of our past when our past has been taken care of. Um, He accuses us of not being worthy. And, of course, we're not worthy, but we're made worthy by Jesus. Um, He accuses us of so many things. And he accuses us before God and he accuses us before others. But when he accuses us personally, when he puts those thoughts in our mind and we're not realizing that those are thoughts from the enemy, he has a way. To keep us from standing firm so know that method he falsely accuses us thirdly he puts evil suggestions in our hearts evil suggestions in our hearts not every prompting you have is a prompting of the holy spirit how do you know the difference between the two not every prompting you have is a natural normal prompting that has no victims and has no problems so you've got to really be self-controlled not dive into just whatever you want to do and make sure that you're being led by the Spirit and not led by the Spirit of the age or evil. Remember in the first sin, Eve thought it was a good idea to take the fruit that God said not to take. And uh, in the end, of course, that was bad for everybody. So the enemy, the serpent in the, in the book of Genesis and the enemy today accuses us, but he also puts evil suggestions in our hearts. When I see people do something out of the ordinary for their lives. All of a sudden they just dive into one direction in their life and and when they can't explain to me why they're doing that, I feel like what's happening in their lives is they're they're having a prompting that they think is a spiritual prompting, but they can't validate that. And it may well be the enemy dragging them away from a place of safety. All right, method number four. He promotes unforgiveness and division. Unforgiveness and division. In James 3, we have all kinds of details about how the wisdom that comes uh, from above is wonderful and pure and peaceable, but the wisdom that does not come down from above is earthy and demonic and full of strife. So one way the enemy keeps us in darkness is he keeps us from forgiving people that don't deserve our forgiveness, but that we are called to forgive. And it leads later on to bitterness or maybe the enemy promotes not only unforgiveness, but division and distrust. He wants us to not trust other brothers and sisters in Christ. He wants division to be perpetrated. He wants he wants the the, the, the the church of Jesus Christ to be divided. And you look across the landscape of churches across America, so much division, so many problems that way. But the enemy is trying to promote that actively because to tear the church apart is to tear the people group that brings us the most support and the army that God has raised up. So He always tries to promote unforgiveness and division. And then the next strategy or method of the enemy, he tempts us to sin in many ways. It's amazing how many things can be placed in front of us that can lead to sin. And the temptation that's in front of us is is always there. And there are more ways to tempt us now than any other time in history. So temptation is real, and it is a battle, it is a war. So just keep in mind when you're being tempted to do something that that takes you even one step away from the Lord and his truth, then you're really in a war, and you're you're being dragged out of the place of safety and away from the one who brings victory uh, into your own uh, little walk where you're all by yourself. He's separating you from the herd of all those who are following Christ. That's what the enemy is doing. And then the last method of the enemy that I'm going to give you today is he discourages us and distracts us. You read the book of Nehemiah, how hard it was to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem uh, in those days that they were so intensely trying to rebuild them to protect against the enemy. And there were those outside the wall that were trying to get Nehemiah, who was leading this, this rebuilding, to come out and meet with them, trying to get him off task. Trying to tell him it's never going to happen. T- trying to tell him that he's not going to be victorious. That they're not going to be successful. That the problem of rebuilding these walls is just too big for him. Trying to distract him from the task at hand. <clears throat> and of course, in the end, it was a supernatural, miraculous thing that the walls of Jerusalem were completely rebuilt. But the enemy tries to discourage us, beats us up, gets us out of position, in order to distract us and. So when you find yourself facing distractions and facing discouragement, know that often the enemy is is behind the curtain. He's pulling those levers behind the curtain trying to get you to, to give up. I really remember an encounter that Jesus had with Peter where Jesus said to Peter, Satan has demanded to sift you as wheat. And I've prayed that your faith might be made whole. And uh, if you remember, Peter goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and denies Jesus three times and then is restored later. Jesus pretty much knew what he was talking about, of course, and Satan did try to distract Peter. And, and uh, as a result, we know that Peter was in an incredible spiritual battle during that time. So it's really important for us to know that, that the enemy is going to try to distract us. If he did that with Peter, do, he would do that with you as well. And I bring back to you James chapter 4, verse 7 again. This is just a principle that we ought to play over and over in our minds. It says this. It says, Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You need to do that as an individual. You need to do that as a family. We need to do that as a church. We need to do that in the kingdom. Submit, therefore, to God. In other words, get into his place. Get into his obedience. Get into the place where he wants you to be next to him, with him and you and you and him. And then resist the devil in that power. And then do it as a family, as a church, as a kingdom. I want to admonish you to pray first, pray often, pray boldly. And I'm I'm pointing back at myself at the same time. If the adversary is that intimidating and well-armed, how can you win the war of life without Christ? And the answer is you can't. Come to him. Give him your life. Join the army. And he will be on your side at every moment. So my encouragement and hope to you is that you're at that tranquility point, that you're in that shark cage, that you're in Christ, and Christ is in you in a place of perfect protection, that you're constantly submitting therefore to God, resisting the devil, and seeing him flee you. And that's the way that we win the war of life. So I hope you join me for the next session of Life is War. Thank you so much for walking with us this far.